And we're getting in this weird situation where we have like a generation of people that are really good at what they do, but they have no intention of being the one in charge. Whereas you have people... Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It's been a while since I said it in that specific order. We haven't had the regular timing in our schedule for a while. Why? Because Jean-Luc was at a conference for a few weeks. And last week we had D-Rock, so we had a special scheduling for that one. And there uh, was an airport episode. There was an airport episode. So a lot happened in March, but I got to say, welcome back, Jean-Luc. We promised in a few episodes ago, we were going to unpack your experience during the conference. I think that's something we can cover a bit tonight. I think to get the regular programming back, we're going to play a trick for the next couple of weeks to make sure that the program is at 9 p.m. local time on the Tuesday. So I think this is an interesting thing as well. We're going to change up the format, not drastically, but a bit. We're going to work out a type of sponsorship as well. So there's a lot to unpack what's going to happen the next month. Oh yeah. And I'm going to write a book. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that book in a bit because <laughs> aside from the, the amazing connection, the experience, I, I, you got a lot out of that conference. So let, let's start with that. So social media marketing world, I think this is the fifth time you've been yeah. attending. And this time, fortunately, you were able to go in person again. We've kind of touched on this during the airport episode. Not as many people as last time you said, but yeah, people are getting used to, you know, physical events again. And I think that's something that definitely stems positively for our social uh, media conference here. What are key takeaways you took from that international experience to bring back home? So are you talking about year? the conference itself? Or yeah, then let's talking? start with the conference okay. itself conference. and then okay. just the perspectives or things that you see in a different light maybe. So, so basically the, the thing that makes the conference special is, and I think it's, it's more about the community vibe sometimes. It's not true. And this is the question that I get wrong at training every year. So you have to understand like conferences like these have a training program. Like you volunteer, but you also have a training program, which you have to finish before the conference starts. And this training, this program, training is only for the volunteers, right? It's, it's for the volunteers. And basically there's a culture and you have to represent the culture. And if you don't represent the culture, you don't get a call back to volunteer the next year. And I mean, it's not really that difficult of a test. I usually get one question wrong every year. And it's basically the same question because the, first of all, the reason why I started attending the conference is because of the content, like the main, the most renowned speakers of the world speak at a conference, like social media wise, the big names, especially the new names. And they spend a lot of time making sure that they have an influx of speakers about new topics as well. Because what you get, once you add speakers, I know a couple of speakers who have spoken at least five or six times at, at, at the social media marketing world, and they reached their peak around the fourth year, fifth year, maybe. 
and then it starts to dwindle down. Unless they're really good A-list speakers that can navigate themselves to a smaller crowd and keep engaged or have such a big audience that their rooms continue to be full. What, but, uh, with the, reaching their peak, do you mean, yeah, like uh, yes, the, a full room that everybody's like, listen, this person needs to get a keynote because this room is too small. I mean, we have it in Suriname as well. Yeah, yeah. We've had speakers that at a certain point, people were like, these rooms are too small. We need them in a bigger room. And, and that's what you get at social media marketing world as well. The first time I went to John Loomer, John Loomer is a great example. That was in 2014. He was booked into a small room. And I think the small room had a capacity of, we're talking about a small room, but it has a capacity of at least a hundred people. But that session, people were standing up against the walls and sitting on the floor. Basically, it was like the fire department was about to come in and say like, guys, there are too many people in this room. They closed the room because it was, was overbooked. And what people don't realize about conferences like these is there are over a hundred speakers. A lot of sessions. So they toned it, toned it down a bit this, this year because it's the first conference, physical conference in quite some time. And I think this conference in size equaled the conference that I went to in 2014. But the rooms in 2014 were much smaller because it was still in the, in the high end. So it was much smaller rooms. And when you have like so many sessions, you get overwhelmed. Because all of a sudden you have five to eight different sessions happening simultaneously that you all want to go to. And you have to navigate yourself to that. And I think what helps, what helps when the conference is a little bit smaller, because we usually talk about four to 6,000 people physically. This was 2,000 physically, 1,000 attending online because they were not comfortable with flying in yet, or they just wanted to experience like an online conference. And it's a lot of people. So navigating, not only from a, from a participation standpoint, navigating to all these sessions, and then from an organization standpoint, making sure that everything runs smoothly, it makes it, it, it makes it a, fun, a fun challenge. But they all, why I got to this point is they do a very good job of finding new speakers and finding new topics. Because you need new speakers every year and they need new topics, even though like a small core of speakers comes back every year and they always deliver. And that's why they come back every year. What and, were some of the speakers one, like yeah. uh, that you, you were new, uh, first time at the conference and some of the topics that were like, I guess, surprisingly high in demand or like not the usual topic this year. Well, I firstly want to say, I call that five Web3 metaverse NFT related topics. Okay. So that's the first thing. The first that's thing one. I want to say. Five out of that's... like how many, like uh, hundred okay, so speakers? I have, find, I have to find back the landing speech for, for 2022, or I should go to the recording speech. Maybe that's easier because I think they removed all the all the things from, so that we're gonna, is going to take a while. So I'm hopefully going to be able to find some kind of old landing page or old navigation page because they're already promoting 2023. Yeah. yeah. So that's another thing. I, I mean, like if there's a golden standard for where we want to get to when it comes to events 
It's what social media marketing does. Uh, social media marketing world does. They promote next year's event on immediately after the year's event. Oh, on the event itself. Yeah, on the okay. event itself. And that's that's like it's it's next it's next level. It's it's really, really next level content wise because I don't attend a lot of sessions. I mainly look at the topics and I don't have to look at the the recordings afterwards. But the two things that really stood out were the NFT, the NFT part. Four specifically had NFT in their name and one was definitely about the metaverse and they were interconnected. And everybody that attended got an actual NFT, not just a pull-up, but just a, comm a commemorative NFT as well. So if you go to like OpenSea, you will see that uh, over a thousand people. I don't think everybody claimed it, but over at least over a thousand people have gotten it on social media marketing world NFT. So I think that's that, a fair. That's still a lot if you look at the attendees that uh, yeah, were yeah. There. But that means that it really struck them. They were really like, "Oh, we have to do this." And then Brian Fanso, Brian Fanso is a really cool speaker as well. Has spoken a lot of times. Has his own. I had gave, gave away an NFT during his talk. He has his own coin on Rally. Mike Schaefer, Mark Schaefer, Mark Schaefer, which is one of my favorite speakers as well. He has his own coin on Rally. So they have tokens or coins as well as, as, and they are their own tokens. And these are just for the tokenomics. They want to understand how it works. So they invest in a, in a token, uh, to make sure that they have a grasp of the things that they're talking about, they're actually doing. So, so that's really cool. That, that, that's interesting. So if I'm getting this right, they're, they're actually just getting their hands dirty in the space. Oh yeah. To, just to understand. And it's not like. Hey, buy my coin or something. No, 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 it, no. It's just to understand the mechanics on. They're just it getting it away. Yeah. Okay. So they don't mind investing money to give money away for free to others just to understand how it works. So it's a very different perspective than to like pop and dumps kind of things like that. And I'm sure there's another speaker who has, who's pretty big, who actually is one of the biggest on rally. So now I got really interested in, in seeing, in to seeing like who is the biggest at the moment. Okay. So like, so, yeah. yeah. So we got uh, around five out of the hundred speakers in that subject, uh, anything else like from a traditional space, maybe that kind of shifted drastically or. So I think another, another really interesting topic is organic reach. Organic reach. Okay. This might be an interesting. Yeah. I think that was what, what stuck out for me was like. Wait a minute. That's something that like, especially if you're Facebook oriented, when you're Facebook oriented, you're like, yeah, organic is that, you know? So it's, yeah. Just to sidetrack for a second, what were your thoughts? I'm not sure if you've seen the news yet that Elon Musk. Oh, that, bought, that's like, so, and that was uh, a very shady move by Elon. Like 9% uh, shares on, on, on face, uh, not Facebook, no. Twitter. I responded, let, let's be clear. I responded to Elon Musk's tweet because Elon Musk was putting out tweets on questioning like several topics on how Twitter works. And one of the topics he touched upon was a freedom of speech. And I know that Vitalik, so to understand Vitalik is the founder of Ethereum, Vitalik talks about Hive quite often. He also follows Hive, like the, the Hive blocks, the main 
Twitter yeah. account. Like from a couple of hundred accounts that he follows, that's one of the accounts that he follows. And he uses Hive as a, a, a use case to say like what true decentralization, not necessarily true decentralization looks like, but what decentralization looks like. like so I tweeted, I tweeted out to Vitalik saying like, hey, Vitalik, can you, can you talk to Elon about, about Hive and about decentralization? And I know that Vitalik openly spoke about it on a podcast where Nafal was also a guest. So I know Nafal knows about it as well. I know Vitalik has, has mentioned it multiple times. So there are several, uh, several ways. And I, I also tweeted about it in actually today's Hive chat. I think today was the 90th Hive chat. That means for 90 weeks straight, for it's 90 almost, weeks uh, straight, almost two years now. We've, we've had a, a Twitter chat, a tweet chat for Hive, which is pretty, pretty damn cool. But I, I also tweeted about it because before Elon did what he did, Jack Dorsey did the same thing, but here's the difference. And this is why it's kind of shady and not shady. I'm not calling out Elon necessarily, but it's weird. Jack Dorsey started mentioning the freedom of speech and the decentralized social media and then left Twitter. Yeah. Elon started the same kind of conversation and then bought a 9% stake in Twitter, which is, it's almost like you're talking Twitter down so you can actually purchase and you don't get a crazy spike because somebody heard like, oh, Elon's going to buy it. Let's buy, let's buy, buy, buy. Yeah. So it's almost it like he kind of don't play Twitter just to buy and not necessarily had an impact on the price going down when he don't played it. But when people heard that he bought, it went off and skyrocket. And, and just yeah. for perspective, like 9% from, for an individual shareholder in Twitter is a lot. A lot. Even Jack Dorsey, the like had only, I think a 2.5% share and he was the, the co-founder of Twitter. So yeah. yeah I don't know. And, and, and that's the one reason. So when Elon buys Twitter, Doge get an, gets an immediate spike. That's, that's the, that's the counter interactive kind of mechanic that it has as well. I actually didn't check the, if there are market movement in that, but Doge, Dogecoin actually was trending today and I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's to, correlated, to, it's correlated, it's correlated to, to Elon, Elon buying a bigger stake in, in Twitter. So these are kind of the things that I'm like, eh. But, but to get back to the, yeah, the organic before reach we got part. The, uh, sidetrack, the organic reach part is a very interesting perspective. I spoke about, I spoke about tribe, tribes and tribalism two years ago during the social media conference. And I think it's one of the most underestimated parts of, of, of anything of, of maintaining a business or building a brand. It's, it's really the tribe. It's really building a community that relates with you, works together with you is on an equal level. I think that's one of the more important things that wasn't the case, like, like in the textbook, 80s textbook management style, there was like the manager or the, the owner, and there was a higher up and there was a hierarchy. And now it's more like when you have these communities, you have people in the communities that are actually more skilled, more knowledgeable, but they accept that somebody else runs the community because they don't want to run the community. 
And basically, that's also something with, with, with online brands, both individual brands and corporate brands. If you want to relate, if you are relatable, if you like the product, the brand, or the person, you will be part of that tribe. And the better you're facilitating the tribe, the bigger the tribe becomes, and it kind of snowballs, kind of like, and, and we can talk about this because we are part of, of a tribe, even, even if I don't feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm saying like, I'm a very big part of that tribe. I'm part of the, the Gary Vaynerchuk tribe in the sense that I own book game tokens in the sense that we're involved with free friends, we're in the discord. So basically that's the idea. And when you have that kind of tribe, all of a sudden advertising is no longer necessary. So let me ask Fawcett this question and how relevant one is paid advertisement predominantly through Facebook and Instagram, yeah, still relevant internationally and how relevant or how far are we here locally? Do you see that now? It's all about what kind of value do you provide? That's what it's all about. Are you, do you have leverage as a brand, either as a corporate brand or as a, as a personal brand? Do you really have leverage? How much leverage do you have? What kind of leverage do you have? What kind of value do you provide to your so-called community? Do you actually provide value for them or not? And then I want to ask a different question here. We talk about, you know, audience reach. You have these Facebook metrics. And a discussion that comes up more, I don't know if this, this is something that's been brought up during your conference, is the difference between an audience and a community. So is that something that has been touched on at all? Listen, I haven't listened or watched the recordings, so I cannot jump into that. How much is relevant is ads? Here's the thing about ads and why you need ads, especially from a corporate perspective. So if you just look at, I want to do a Surinamese case study because that's the community I kind of know best. If you look at the biggest influencers and the biggest content creators who do this organically, they don't advertise. They're really, really consistent in their posting. Like I always want to make fun of, of my friend Jack who has been on this podcast. And actually, I think he also spoke about this on getting up at a certain time during the night to post something because it's part of, it's like these good morning tweets, right? And here he posts something. He used to post something. I don't know if he still does it, but at least for a year, he posted something every day, every day at three o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning. Like oh, wow. really insane. It was kind of an inside joke, but it, it, and that's the fun thing is that everybody that was online at that point always responded. So. If you were like laid up at night and you were like, yeah. Yeah. Cause there's no other yeah. noise. So you, you get the full attention. Basically he gets the full attention because he's the only post kind of being posted at that time in the morning. So it's a very interesting perspective, but also like other influencers that are content creators that post like 10 to 20 times a day. So if you post 10 to 20 times a day, at a certain point, you start realizing what kind of posts work and what kind of posts don't work. And when you post 10 to 20 times a day, you don't need advertising. But when you only have the resources to post once a week and you want to get the same kind of exposure as others get for posting daily, you're going to have to advertise. So for a brand, and understand, for a brand, it's harder to post content because it has to go through approval process. And 
the bigger the brand is, the more research you have. <laughs> yeah, the more researches you have. And it doesn't mean necessarily that it takes longer. You have some big brands that are very smooth, their operation is effective, and they get the post out. You make it in the morning and you get it out by the by the by the same day, but you can't do that every day. So you need a real process where the content is kind of being like processed through different stages, through different approvals until it gets out. And when you have that, you, you don't you don't get to post 10 times a day. So if you cannot get your organic reach that way, you kind of have to go towards the advertising route. And that's kind of where Facebook makes its money. Facebook makes its money through these kind of companies that have to advertise to be seen. Because if all companies were able to bring out quality content every day, three times a day, nobody would advertise. True. And that's the the, the, the leverage we're talking about. But that, that doesn't really, I, I definitely think maybe in, we won't go in depth now, but as a suggestion, maybe this is something for the topic to be addressed. In oh, I think Doreen is going to take us. Doreen loves yeah. this topic. So the, I think the audience Doreen. versus community part and especially corporate versus. Uh... So Doreen, Doreen has spoken only digitally this, this year, if she comes, it will be the first time it's physically. And Doreen has spoken about agilifying, which is something that a lot of people only understand if you work agile and you understand what lean and agile is about, but it's kind of smoothening the process. And then the first year she spoke about strategy. So I think this year she's definitely going to speak about organic because organic is one of her favorite topics to talk about. And I think organic, we have to let go of only Facebook because you have LinkedIn, you have Twitter, you have TikTok, you have YouTube. And yeah, that's YouTube is definitely something I want to talk about today because I really had a big, big milestone personally. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, shift to that uh, immediately. What happened on YouTube? And just quickly, is YouTube still underrated or overrated? Oh yeah. So DRock said it was underrated, which kind of made me appreciate YouTube a little bit more. I think YouTube monetization, it's properly rated. YouTube as a platform is, is heavily, still heavily underrated. Yeah. As a, as a, as a platform, just yeah. as a platform, it's hugely, YouTube as a search engine. And I realized this the last week and a half, I started, started getting more creative with YouTube titles and I can only partly devote that, the success to that, but it definitely helps. And just going to like through the statistics and how much traffic on my videos comes in now from browse features, including search is, is interesting. But another thing, and here you get back to the organic part and being consistent. One of the main things, the reasons why my YouTube is gradually growing and it's growing a little bit faster than it was a couple of months ago is because consistency and posting multiple times a week. And when you post multiple times a week, especially if you're a smaller channel, you get more exposure from YouTube and they will put you on the first page of your recent subscribers. And if your recent subscribers see you on your first page, on their first page, and they click on you on multiple occasions, you will stay there. Yeah, it bumps up the algorithm. Yeah. 
So I think that's one of the biggest improvements that we've had. And I hit a thousand subscribers. I already hit 8,000 watch hours like a couple of weeks ago. And I just hit a thousand subscribers the, as like, well. What's the minimum requirement now to uh, qualify for monetization? I think I like, just did them, but I'm not sure. The crypto was a thousand subscribers, right? The subscribers, I'm not sure. Monetization requirements, 2022. We're quickly going to have a look. So you need a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time. And I'm actually already at 8,000 hours of watch time. Okay, so, so you check the boxes. So I checked the box already and then the 1K subscribers. So basically. And I, I guess the other question that people usually locally have is like the, the restrictions, the country restrictions. Is that still a thing? Yeah, still a thing. Yeah, still a thing. Still a thing. If, if, yeah, Suriname is kind of like not seen as a country at, at any point, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have to say the things the way, the way they are. Like people at YouTube, this is just, I don't know where the switch came from Spotify. That Spotify was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's open up Spotify for Suriname. But if YouTube could do that, that would be just great. Yeah, it, it, it's still something, you know, because... A lot of platforms, uh, when you scroll through that list, you see like Sudan and then Switzerland. Wait, where is Yeah, where is Sudan? Yeah. So Pinterest, as last time I checked, didn't have Suriname listed. YouTube didn't have, doesn't have Suriname listed. Yeah. So TikTok doesn't have Suriname listed. Snapchat doesn't have Suriname listed. I, I, I so did. Only the, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, and Instagram. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, those have Suriname link. Just, just thinking about this now, I did the, I, I think I sent you the screenshot yesterday or this morning, the Notion certification. So I had to apply like online, where are you from? So I, I'm scrolling through that list. And as you said, it's not there. So you have the other option. So selected other. Well, put it in other. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, because I, I got invited to the special notion workspace for the certified people. Like I think there's like 300 or 400 people in there now. So hopefully someone sees it and you know, it, it just well, uh, this, drop is, this is how it goes, Diego. I think that's another thing that we want to discuss because you recently got featured because you're working with, together with Rajiv on Silicon Dorm and uh, Rajiv loves to, loves to talk about branding Suriname. And here's the, the interesting thing. It's also kind of our duty in our respective fields. And this goes for everybody that represents Suriname outside of Suriname. You're kind of an, and I'm not allowed to use the word ambassador. I'm not allowed to put it in my profile because I had this discussion with actually, with actual diplomats who are actually ambassadors. Yeah. So I've been kind of, I have removed the Suriname ambassador. It's, it might still pop up somewhere where I forgot to change it, but I'm very wary of not putting Suriname ambassador anymore in any official or yeah, formal kind of a profile. And, but you are an ambassador. You are, in, in, in this case, the person that's making the rest of the world knowledgeable that Suriname exists. Yeah. And it's like, whenever I mention it in the, the communities I'm active in, like, oh, I immediately get some DMs. So this scarcity and unknowingness is actually leverage to get it. Oh, this, this totally brings you to... Is it, is it David and Goliath or is it, whew, I've read too many Malcolm Gladwell books. I think, no, it's actually mentioned in, 
Exactly mentioned in outliers. I think it's mentioned in outliers. It's 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 the big big fish small pond versus small fish big pond kind of yeah that that's situation. a reference from outliers. If I'm yeah, mistaken. and 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 the thing he talks about is that the number one at a smaller college has sometimes better opportunities than the number five at a big college. Like, yeah, uh, it's it's more. The number five had a big speaking, college. The, 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 the number five is a big college. Probably is more recognized in some regard, or is more has more status. But the number one in a smaller college gets grants and opportunities that that number five cannot get. So it's about opportunities that you get, and uh, that's that's leverage. Yeah, that's uh, leverage. We, we, we've yeah. talked about leverage a lot in social media and reach, and basically it's it's. You got to take advantage of the situation you're in. So except. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I'm learning how to do that, but I don't, I'm not necessarily a humble person. That's definitely not how I would describe myself. But on the other hand, I don't have the urge. And that's something I do have to change because I realize that it comes with the responsibility. The responsibility of putting yourself out there, the responsibility of the great power comes great responsibility, the, the, the famous Spider-Man quote, it, it does. And that's also one of the reasons why at this point in my life, and I think we've discussed this, like, do you want to be the chair? Do you want to be the president? Do you want to be the CEO? Oh, what drives you to do those yeah. kind of things? And we're getting in this weird situation where we have like a generation of people that are really good at what they do, but they have no intention of being the one in charge. Whereas you have people that that's every, like the have every intention of being paradox, in charge, right? uh, every intention of being in charge, but they're actually not really that qualified to do the job. And that's kind of the, the, the dilemma that, that a lot of companies, a lot of nations face on, on so many different levels. And it's, it's becoming so apparent that it's kind of overshadowing leaders that are actually doing a good job. So the narrative of people who are so hungry for power and money, kind of trying to dominate and making it impossible to, to create innovation to create sustainable development is kind of starting to overshadow like leaders that are actually doing a pretty damn good job. That's the, the, the paradox. And before we go too much into that capitalism and all that, let's change of gears a bit. Uh, let's talk about the next few weeks. As you mentioned in the beginning, there's going to be some changes coming to, to the format and what people can expect. So for the next few weeks, basically, we're going to have, we're going to have the regular 9 p.m. Surinamese programming uh, for the next month and kind of more like focus sessions. They're not going to be live. It's going to be like, well, we're it's going to be live. It's going to be live, but not, I, I think you can explain it a bit better. So, so basically what we would really love to hear if you're like a long time listener of, of the Social Confluence podcast, I think what's really interesting is that we have done over 60 episodes and we really want to hear a little bit about what's your favorite episode and why. And the thing that we've been doing consistently was 
I wouldn't, so I wouldn't necessarily doc, say document over create because it's still creation, but we've done a really, we haven't actually done a job on kind of getting the gems out of these uh, 60 plus sessions out there. Yeah, so we, we haven't we have a huge micro content. We haven't put ideas out that were discussed on this podcast, which we should really do. And we also didn't have a plan for how to properly approach that and what we would do with that. And I think the next four weeks will be, will give us an opportunity on one hand to figure that out. And on the second hand, give you guys an opportunity to relive the past one and a half year. So that's the idea. Yeah. And basically for people regularly tuning in, you may have heard of it, but it's also an opportunity to say, Hey, I, I didn't even know when we just started, we just had a few, uh, small, small group of people. And I, I think some of the topics we touched on in the, the beginning were pretty damn good episodes. Also before we shifted to the, the more hype stuff uh, that that's uh, going on recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we gradually, uh, gradually changed gears with the podcast and we're fairly well aware of that, but it's hard not to talk about things that are coming. I know for a lot of people, it's still so far out, but it's kind of hard not to talk about the trending topics. And I guess there's also some really good micro content in there. Sessions with Jeremy, session with a podcaster with Jennifer. There's so many like quality explanations into stuff that if we tell it, it might be like, okay, this is, but hearing it from somebody else might be interesting. It's like, oh, wait, I, I need to invest more time in that. And here's the funny thing, Diego. I also think in, in a country when you're in distress, you don't get the opportunity to really think about these things. I take a step back and like, okay, where are we heading with this? And, and no, I, I definitely agree. It's a. Uh fight or flight sometimes. And for us, I guess we, we got fortunate that it's like, as Drock mentioned, that there's some kind of serendipity that's at work because you put in the hours, because you put in the work, you, you cross that path at the right time, at the right moment. No, then you learn from or, it. Or you don't, <laughs> but I, I've seen also many other people, you know, who, who walk the same, almost similar path, but the timing was just off and they had a total different experience and like, oh, uh, brush this. Uh, Web3, NFT, crypto topic of completely and others who just uh, stuck with it. It's also intent, Diego. And also, like, you can't force people to do something yeah. they don't like. And I think that's something that we are becoming more aware of in life as we go. Well, it, I, I, I wouldn't mean, yeah. for, say force them to do something they don't like. I think uh, there should be more emphasis on curiosity. Ananta said it best, like you have to be curious on, you know, maybe it's for you, maybe not, but if things are happening. I had a discussion with, with, well, not a discussion, one or a couple of tweets, uh, with Roberto Blake about this. And it was based on a tweet that he sent out. Roberto Blake is a, a very good YouTube content creator who talks a lot about creative entrepreneurship and how you can get the most out of your YouTube channel. That's how we kind of started, but. He's also giving quality advice to people and he posted something and I, I quickly want to jump into this because for me, it was a, 
kind of a really inter interesting discussion. And I really have to search back for it because he tweets out quite, quite a lot. So speaking of that, yeah. the reason I'm smiling right now, I, I actually just got a text or a message from Jafinci and I connected him like a, a few days ago with Bo. I said, they should meet up in oh. FC oh. in Portugal. And he just sent me a photo, a selfie of both of them. So they actually- Oh, awesome. So yeah, that's another way serendipity. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. That's just, that's just awesome. Yeah. But go, the, the point you're making, hey, sorry to sidetrack there. <laughs> I know I really have to, I really have to find out if I can find that tweet back. Okay. While you search that tweet, yeah. so the discussion was around that, uh, I'm still searching for that tweet, man. I'm going to stop searching it <laughs> in a bit because I'm not going to find it. It's, it's, it has been buried. I might, be, how, I might be able to find it easier to my profile. Let, let me <laughs> ask, how often do you tweet nowadays? Like, uh, what's the frequency? Are you yes, more like a cons consumer? So I basically went off social media for a little bit too long to be completely, completely honest. And there are several reasons for that because I had to really figure out what I use social media for. And I also had to figure out which channel I wanted to use for what. Yeah, I think we've established that kind of a, a bit like uh, Twitter has a uh, narrow focus. Facebook has a more narrow focus now. Yeah, I have to, for instance, my Twitter handle, I, ha I have to change my Twitter handle. I have to, on my Twitter handle, openly say that I'm a top shot collector, openly support Hive, all those kind of things that I really talk about. On Twitter, which I haven't done, I have this generic introduction that's on all my socials, which is all the same, which was kind of Guy Kawasaki's idea because Guy Kawasaki says you should talk about every, on every channel about anything you want. But for me, really, there's a big difference between Facebook and, and YouTube and because I want to go more into Dutch content and compared to the Dutch Surinamese content, not Dutch, Dutch content, but Surinamese Dutch content and steep keep LinkedIn and Twitter kind of more as my active English content. And that means that it's different content. And what I also had to learn is that it shouldn't make extra content. There's already content. There's already social confos. So why should I go out and make additional content when there's already videos talking about things that I believe in? Why should I put out extra content if I actually writing a book? So these are kind of things that I started pondering about and I have started to change my schedule. I spoke with our executive assistant about it, making sure that we plan in the week in a way that I can kind of work more towards my goals. And of course, that's not going to work short term wise, but long term, it has to gradually change. And I think we've kind of started figuring it out and that's why the, the 1k subscribers on YouTube is such a big deal. Because it's something two years ago, I kind of had given up on, or I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get there someday. And now in the past months, and it has really started to grow because like it's exponentially grown. Yeah. Because we start, because I figured out, okay, this is what I want to do with YouTube. I don't have to worry about anymore to kind of diversify YouTube because it has a single use now. It's kind of a niche now and that's okay. But it, it took a while for me to accept it. And then the most difficult part is what I have now, with, which we discussed on Sunday, I think, on what to do with Facebook. 
how to use your profile, how to use your page. What do you want to use it to for? You're not going to put the same content, but where are you going to focus? This stream is, is being streamed towards both my Facebook page and my profile. Should it just be streamed to one of them? Yeah. These are kind of discussions that you're, you're going to have with yourself. And these, these take quite some time because there's no one right answer that, that always works. So I found the, the story with Roberto Blake. Right. And he says, right. he says, people tend to underestimate their abilities to address basic things every day and somehow overestimate their ability to change the big picture, which is completely true, by the way. Like these are, there are like basic things that people can do mm -hmm. every day and they underestimate those things. And then somehow they overestimate their ability to change the big picture. So this is very... But it's, it's a very hard, very big feedback tweet. And I replied saying like, can't you really blame us though? As in saying like, isn't that the world where we live in? Isn't kind of this a result, like, uh, a result of, of, of a society that lost control. And I'll elaborate a little bit on that. But he replied saying, yes, like, yes, you can't actually blame us. And I said like, well, yeah, we can make people aware of this, which he's doing. And that's why I thanked him for it. But then when people get ceremoniously rewarded for unsuccessfully trying to change the big picture, and we fail to properly teach basic life skills to our community, this is what we get. And that's currently what's happening. So first of all, we're not teaching the basic stuff that people are underestimating. We're not teaching those things anymore to our community, to our children, to the youth. We're just not. And even if we're doing it, we're not doing it in a proper way that they understand the importance of it. Otherwise they wouldn't underestimate it. What's one thing that's being heavily underestimated? What is heavily being in underestimated our is, is patience. It's, it's really being underestimated. One thing that's being really underestimated is empathy. Are, are you going through the self no no, 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 no. It just happens that these two are really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, 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 it just kind of uh, funny that you mentioned those yeah. two specifically. Yes. But those two are, are for me, for me are, are really things that like, like people are more concerned with getting there that they are right or that they are not wrong versus understanding what the other person is trying to say. And even in situations where multiple pair people are saying to the person, listen, the other person is trying to tell you something, they don't budge. And it doesn't mean that they have to budge and have to believe in what the other person is saying, because on the other side, you will also have people from the other side saying like, yeah, but that person is right as well. And we don't take the time to kind of get to a collective. It's really hard to work together at a certain point, especially if you have people with a strong opinion or a strong personality that don't feel the necessity to work together. Either they really believe they're right or they think it's going to take too much time and it's going to be exhausting. And in some cases they're even right. And for me, it's sometimes as well that I, I don't engage in a conversation anymore because I know where it's leading and yeah. you know, there will be, won't be a result from it. And that's kind of how you build because in the past you would tell somebody like, Hey, you might be underestimating this, 
But now you're like, listen, I'm not going to tell that person that that person is underestimated. They have to find out for themselves. Or I'm not going to do it because I'm going to get feedback and I'm going to get that, get attacked because that person will feel attacked from me saying that. And then the second part that I mentioned is like, the first, actually the first thing that I mentioned is that people are getting ceremoniously rewarded for unsuccessfully trying to change the big picture. And this is what happens every time. Like people get decorated, people get rewarded for just because they want to do something for good. And they're actually the only ones trying and they get decorated for it. Even though in the big picture, nothing really they, changed. Yeah. They, they are the ones publicly trying. Exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of hell. This ribbon story where everybody gets a ribbon who has really tried and publicly tried and really tried to change the public opinion and really tried to bring change to our society. But in reality, they didn't. Yeah. It sounds, I've actually read, read again about this idea more from business, uh, not business, from a different mm -hmm. perspective. I just finished the psychology of money today. Actually read that book in three days. Surprised I finished the book that fast after such a long time. What uh, yeah, easy read. Not, I, I'd say the psychology of money can be applied to a lot of things in life, not just money, but it's, as you said, it's, uh, the, the, the human behavior skills. It's just all about behaviors. And this comes back to habits again, and uh, coming back to your book, writing the book. So let, let's pivot back to that. How, because I remember a few years ago, you were already had an idea to start a book. What prompted you to go back into this writing process and how does it fit in the, the puzzle that is shown look right now? That's a difficult question to answer, but it, it comes down to a couple of things. I think the biggest one is what to write about. If you're going to write a book, is that a book, which is like a personal mission to you? I'm just going to write a book because I want to write a book. Is there a certain topic that you really want to write about and who are you writing it for? And this trip, the, the last trip to social media marketing world kind of put into perspective, like where I'm currently at and what I need to do to take the next step. And I needed an accountability partner. I first of all needed some motivation and inspiration. And then I needed an accountability partner and I found both in a time span of three hours. The funny thing is the social convos three weeks ago was in the middle of that three hour time span. The one in your hotel room. Yes. So. That's what happened. So first I had to realize what the book was going to be about and understand that the book was going to be more geared towards the 10,000 goal. So to tell to, to clarify the 10,000 goal, 10,000 goal last year was to reach 10,000 in something in whether it was uh, personal savings, crypto portfolio, a high power, getting a platform, a social media platform to 10,000 followers. And eventually it became the crypto portfolio, which I openly talked about last year that I reached that goal. And then I started realizing that 
What if 10,000 people could get from zero to 10,000? What if you can get 10,000 people to go from zero savings to 10,000 US dollar savings? Yeah, that's a clear mission with more clarity. Yeah. And then you start thinking like, how do you approach that? Do you give a free, free webinars? Do you give a course? And I was kind of pushed off the book idea because I was like, in this day and age, isn't the book like kind of outdated? And that yeah, are, underrated. And it's so underrated. And it's so underrated at this point that I was like, okay. And it, it had to be brought into perspective by people that actually have written books and what books mean to them and what big books mean to society. And then I started realizing that the, 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 the seed was planted in my head that maybe a book is not such a bad idea. And once that conspired, I was like, hold on a minute. I really should consider this. And interestingly, I already had set up a meeting for a, a book meeting with a self-publishing school just to, and, and another, like things don't happen just for a reason. The book that the Chandler, Chandler Bold book that they were giving to people at the conference, I had that, the PDF of that book on my desktop, on my laptop when I was traveling there. And we jumped into the conversation. And when I told the story of the process that I was going through and what I really needed was accountability partner. They were like, yeah, but that's actually a pretty good fit. And that's when I started to really ponder the idea of like, should I do this or should I do it? Shouldn't I do this? And then I realized that the accountability for, for me was the most important part. So the program that they provide is actually a program that if I'm not fully committed, the accountability won't, won't work, but. And it is the, the self-publishing platform. Well, self-publishing school and self -publishing. their program, of course, I'm already enlisted now. Their program, they really, if you want to write a book, you're going to write the book. They provide you with everything you need from group coaching to get it. So there's no excuses. To there's no excuse. There is like in the process of writing the book, there's nothing that I can say like, Oh, I cannot figure out how to do this. So this is the reason why I'm not writing. So it took away all the excuses basically. And then yeah. you also have, and, and that's something I enrolled. I enrolled to my first group session for this Thursday, uh, because I want to go through the process to understand how it works because there are different group, group sessions that you can attend to. And I'm gonna, the first one I'm gonna try this, this Thursday. And then I have to start going to the program and the material. And to get a little bit of a head start, I already started writing as well, but I have a commitment now, and this is really important as well, because this is also out of experience. I have a commitment, a 30 day challenge towards myself, but interestingly, this 30 day challenge, I'm also doing with my team at Ineffable, and it's to do something every day, like create a habit. And at the moment, creating the habit is for me, creating content. So. On days that I'm actually putting out YouTube video content, I'm not pushing myself to also put out written content. 
And when I'm putting out written content, I'm also not pushing myself to create out, put out video content. Because for me right now, committing to both creating video content and creating written content every day is a little too much. But if I can say one or the other, and if it happens to be that I could do both at the same day, I will do it. But there are other things as well. I mean, we run a business, so I have other responsibilities other, as well. Yeah. But, but these, but the commitment is every day I have to focus on content, whether it's written content or video format. So we're going to see the Hive Blow. Oh. The Hive Blow, po, Blow, Blow Pomo. Uh, Hive blog post month. Uh, again, for me, it's not about getting the daily badge that I get like to post every day, but it's definitely at the end of the month. I want to have a consistent cadence. Yeah. I, I will have, I'm going to have at least 15, 15 small pieces of the book written, which could either be thrown out because I'm yeah. like, okay, it's not relevant, but it's already going to help. You need to draft it out. It's going to help structure the first, the first, the first chapter for sure. I, I've heard several processes and I, I, I guess as the, as you're starting to write that book to shift this to our closing section, are you just for fun, are you going to implement any book game to economics in your lunch? It's not really good to talk about the promo and a launch part while you're still writing the book though. So I've, I've started that process. No, that, 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 that was the, my failed attempt at cleverly transitioning to how's your book games going? <laughs> no, no, it's not fully failed because I am considering NFTs as part of the book, but I'm not gonna commit to things that I can, can I can't put myself through. I mean, maybe a coin, maybe a coin. It, it, it's within the realm of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. maybe a coin. An NFT is, is a little. At this moment, not on my radar. It's on my radar. The end game, the end game NFT, the the biggest NFT project that I want to do is already on my radar. I like to reverse engineer. So I just have to figure out the steps that I'm going to go towards that. As for book games, I don't know what to say. How are you going to play it? For me personally, I still kind of want to have my original book game token. 10 years from now, but if I feel like it's insanely overvalued, there could be a sale because if it's insanely overvalued, I feel that I will be able to buy either one or multiple back for yeah. at a later stage. So for me, I'm not going to sell and then be like, oh, wait, I sold the house. It's there. It will never go back. To it put it on a, a price that, that you don't think it will reach uh, in the short term. But if a yeah. like a, a moment happens, if there's a I moment of like, and that's something, and it's really hard. Actually, when we're done with this, I might still somewhere tonight spend one hour transitioning in NFTs from one base from basic NFTs to more rare NFTs because. There are some rare NFTs at the moment that I feel are heavily underpriced. And even though the basic NFTs are not overpriced, I still feel it's better to have one rare in your collection at 25 basics. What's your 
contextualization of rare in this context? Rare is a very low mint count and a more priced possession. Okay, so low mint count, like more on the artistic side, more on the art side, I'd, I'd say. No, but like, like their NFTs, like let's for instance take Amin. Because the rarity is very subjective. No, but the, it's based on the mint count and the availability. I'd say that's rarity, scarcity, because how yeah, rarity okay. is used now in the context of the 10,000 project yeah. is kind of like attributes to do that. So yeah, that's why I'd say it. So there are two things actually, it's rare, rarity and scarcity. And for me already, scarcity often is enough. Yeah. To give scarcity it like also means less liquid, it's more illiquid. Yeah. So for instance, say there is a, a scarcity of, there are only less than a thousand available of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of the other NFT, there are 60,000 of it. Would you rather have a rare NFT? Cause the, there has there's a circulation, absolutely. has a circulation of less than a thousand for $60 or would you rather have 30 NFTs that have a rate, uh, circulation of 60,000? It depends on what your goals are. One, it depends yeah. on what your goals are. But if you're looking at a more liquid volume based market, I'd go the higher count and there is still a nuance between the supply you have nfts like for the adidas for example it's like one nft one it, there it's not a one of one it's a collection of thirty thousand one nft basically yeah and you have something like e friends which is you have additions you have a total supply of ten thousand but within those ten thousand there are like one of ones in rarity so it is a unique nft again so, and then you have the extreme end for, from the artist side, usually that is like a one-of-one -one art piece. Like there's only legit, only one of that in circulation. So yeah. that's. Yeah, but you start, yeah, but you, you definitely start thinking like, yeah, but you definitely start thinking like, what, what's, what's your interest? What's your goal? But also what do you like? Like, yeah. um, for instance, if, if it's like the one that. Or flipper, cracking, traders. Yeah high count is more preferable because they're, they're more like short term yeah. or collections. Like, Hey, I like that piece. Yeah. Uh, I like that art piece of Jefinci. There's only five or there's only two. Hey, I'm going to get it. But then again, if you're planning to sell, that might not be the smartest move because you'll have to find an interesting buyer. So you, it's, it's harder to find a match of buyer and seller. And then you get back to the patience part. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've, I've learned my lessons. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned was Doge. I think that's the, the biggest lesson that I was like way too. So for me, I was really excited. I experienced 2017, 2018. So when 2020 hit and we started seeing things rise, it's like, yay, I waited a couple of years for this. And I was very impatient and I just wanted to be sure. And I sold up really early because I didn't know what to expect. 
because the time that I joined in 2017 was like at the end of going towards the peak. Yeah, here you've kind of immediately felt the yeah. uh, after aftershock. So these are kind of things that I think would, and, and that's why I think the experience is so important that you understand like, wait, uh, first of all, history kind of repeats itself, but the second year history, history doesn't repeat that's itself good. exactly the way that it did the first time. It, so it, it's funny that you mentioned it because the, that's something mentioned in the psychology of money again. History is not a predictor of future outcomes because you cannot base your judgment on past events because people look too much at the data that they can't, or they don't have the imagination left to, you know, fantasize of what's possible. And then when this unforeseen event happens. But there are basic market mechanics. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, uh, an example of yeah. market mechanics. So with book games right now, there's a burning calendar. Yes. So when you have the burning of a certain token, leading up to that burning, the prices are going to rise. Yeah. Cause there's a demand. Because there's a demand for them. Actually that happened today, aside from the burning part, the snapshot was today for the friend list. Yeah. So like five minutes after the snapshot, the floor went to 0.2, like 20% of what it was. Yeah, we're and like, people swept the floor, but and then, it and then regulated swept, again. And then when people sweep the floor, went up again. It goes up and again. Then it, yeah, and, and it then it stabilized that. in between. So, and now you cannot predict it goes the same way every time because that's no. where people go. They're like, okay, I figured out how this work. And they sweep the floor and it continues to go down. They're like, wait, what happened? But, and, but they the it is, sell, and then it the, goes up. So, so these are kind the of more things. players you have, like the, the, the more dynamic it becomes, because there's going to be fresh, fresh blood. So there's going to be fresh capital in, in, in this, in the circulation. Yeah. So some to a certain degree, it is not all never a hundred percent, but you can, but you, if you're patient enough, yeah, you, you can get, yeah. And, if you're patient enough and not greedy enough, and this comes back to a very No, but popular... it, that's why I mentioned it, yeah. it comes down to what goals you have at that point. But do you know that we kind of went through a similar thing 15 years ago? 15 years ago, the reference to 2007, eight? Was 15 years Maybe ago. even a little bit earlier. Which was the poker craze? Do you remember the Texas I am, race? I'm actually not familiar with that. So there was a couple of cultural references, one being the movie Rounders, where poker became really popular. And it actually led to a lot of amateur players getting into the World Series of Poker. I can see that happening. Yeah. And there's a basic principle with Texas Hold'em. Texas Hold'em is kind of one of the few games you play in a casino where you don't play against the house, you don't play against the casino. So you actually yeah, play against other players. And one of the basic rules there is if you walk in and this led literally a line from the movie, if you walk in and if you walk in onto a table, 
and you can't, without, within five minutes, you can't find out who the sucker is, you're the sucker. You're the least qualified person on that table. And with yeah. in that world, there's a lot of ways to kind of make money if you're patient enough, because there will always be people with a lot of money to spend who jump into things and just start spending money. And you always more familiar with how the system works, stays in there and slowly chips away some of the money that comes in. But you have to slowly chip away some of the money that comes in. Because when you greed takes over, you start becoming less rational. Ra yeah, rational about it. So you start having greed. And then whenever the greed kicks in or you get too complacent or get too relaxed, that's where you lose. And for me with NFT collecting, as soon as I kind of either like, because like it's crypto, so you're like, okay, I have enough of this. I can hype, hype, hype. I, I jumped into a hype just because of not tricking it through, but just because of, I, I feel this is like, not even intuitively, because intuition would basically actually stop you from saying like, hey, this does, this feels a little bit over, over ambiguous. So I think that's a very important thing as well. Not necessarily only the patients, but understanding like you can get, the system always works when you're taking away small, you're taking away small steps because everybody is willing to give you those small wins. But then greed kind of takes over and then people get too hungry, whether it's for power, money or anything. And that, that's, where it, that's where they get caught because they're blinded by something. And then when the moment hits, they don't recognize it. And when the moment has passed, they don't recognize it either. That's a fair assessment. I, I won't say always, uh, but patience no, is heavily underestimated. But that goes paired to uh, what I mentioned before. It is, it's paired with your goal. And yeah, your goal might be clouded by the greed for the short-term gains. That's yeah. the most common yeah, occurrence of, of these events. Mm -hmm. But again, you should also know if, if it's for the long-term, you're playing a different game. So basically you, you cannot, it's basically comparing apples to oranges because you're playing a different game. Basically. Yeah. You play a game that you basically can't lose because even if you lose, you don't lose because it's not all monetary value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that also plays for a lot of people. And that basically also has to do with your background and where you come from and what for what for you qualifies as success and also what for you qualifies as happiness. Yeah. And I think that's where most, all of us kind of struggle. No, it's a, successful. What for you is happiness? It's an ever learning journey to that point. And I, I won't say, I forgot how they phrased it, but yeah, it, it's not a state. Happiness is a moment in time. Okay. So it's, it's, it's the, I'm jumbling up so many references right now in my head <laughs> from the different books. So uh, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to quote, but I'm pretty sure there's a, a scientific reference in Atomic Habits about it as well, where he formulates it beautifully, but it is about the, the learning process, the journey, because at a certain point, 
you'll reach that goal. And then what then after you reach that goal, you move the goalpost or not? Or how do you expand with uh, defining what happiness or is it part of your personality? Of yeah. That's, I think that's the biggest question. Do you want it to be part of your personality or do you use it for other reasons? I don't think someone could be continuously happy because with the absence of sadness, there can be no happiness. You need that contrast. Yeah, but it, this is going to go. But let's not go philosophical. Let's not go philosophical. Let's, philosophical. let's cut it there. Yeah, you're playing the long game at book games. That's a fair point. Yeah, and I'm thinking a long game, but also if there is like somebody to wanting, wanting to spend two Ethereum, I'm not going to be like, no, you can't have it. Yeah, yeah. put it on there. I yeah. think, who was it? Steve Aoki, when he bought, bought his first board ape or, or punk was it, he listed it like three times the floor price then and within a week it was still gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like, but here's, here's the thing. Yeah, but here's the thing as well. If the floor price goes up to one ETH, I, I'm removing it. <laughs> What's the end of the Yeah, but it's that simple. So it's... That, that's the reverse psychology, that's, but then that's, you need to track yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but if it happens, if somebody buys it at, at the current listing price, I, I won't be bothered by it because I feel yeah. like it's, it's fair. Yeah. It's a fair price. All right. Unfortunate, you didn't get through the selection, so now you don't need to worry. It's basically a stress remove about. Oh no, I wasn't. I'm, I, I'm so happy that I canceled half of my trips for this for this half year, because four trips I would have, done. <laughs> I think I would be out of a job. Yeah, and I'm the I'm the owner of the company. <laughs> I think my partners would kick me out of it. <laughs> You're, you're, you're like, like sorry, but, for eight but if you're not at work, uh, we don't really need you anymore. So, so yeah. Um, but, but isn't that the, the goal in the end to have a self running? No, I mean, from that perspective, yes, but you, you cannot like, and I think if, if that's the last thing that we're going to talk about, I think that's, that's one of the things that, that is being underestimated in, in the current workforce. It's like, if you're a leader, if you're an owner of a company, if you're a CEO or in any management or high, high staff position, you can't expect people to watch you and not contribute anything to the, the company and then expect them to work their butts off to take it to the next level. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not fair and, and no, but like. One thing I do have to say, like, of course, in, in some cases, they won't be able to recognize what you bring to the company. That, that could be the case mm. because there's a difference between the level of task and the work that you have to do. Yeah. So I wanted to make that point, yeah. but I didn't want to go into another rabbit no, hole. No, but, but it's, yeah, but, it, but, but uh, you, know, you do understand the other point as well. Like, yeah, I, I understand the reasonability behind, behind yeah. it and setting. It, it goes paired with the projection of and an image that goes paired with the responsibility and accountability. Yeah. And if you're like a completely a business owner, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you've set up a business, you're only a shareholder, you're no longer active in any position within the company. You're just a shareholder. 
either you're part of the board of directors or you're just a shareholder, a silent partner, but you like don't 9% have percent in a stake in uh, Twitter. You don't get any, yeah, you don't get any salary from working there. Then it's totally different that you're just a business owner, a shareholder, something completely different than having a position within the company, actually working for the company. So. Cool. Uh, I think that's a good place to leave it at before, because we, we touched on many topics that we barely scratched the surface on. Yeah. And today was supposed to be a pretty lighthearted episode. Some recap, we've laid out the plan for the next few weeks. So you guys know what to expect. And in next month, we'll be back full steam with a lineup of interesting people. So stay tuned. Awesome. No, no over under today. We'll just go for others today. And like we mentioned, we will be back next week. Same place and same time. This was Social Conference. Bye-bye.